I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. So I'm delighted to be here today with Ellen Grace O'Brien, and we are going to be talking about her new book, The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. And uh, I forgot to mention to you, Ellen, that um, this will be coming out at the at the beginning of the year, so it'll be a nice uh, way for people who are setting New Year's intentions for prosperity to engage with this book and this work. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. So before we get into this really, really beautiful uh, telling of how to apply yogic principles to creating abundance in every area of your life, can you just give us a little bit of background about how you came to the spiritual path? Um, sure, thank you. Um, you know, I found out, even though I, I thought that my story was unique, <laughs> um, I found out that um, it's it's not at all unique. Um, but of course, everybody comes, you know, in their, with their own particular circumstances. But in, in the larger picture, you know, what drew me to the path was yearning. Um, and it was a yearning for something. You know, I, I felt a sense of um, emptiness, but, you know, not in a good way. Um, you know, a sense of in, in even like being outside of my own life to where I couldn't connect um, in a deep way with what would bring me happiness or satisfaction. It was like it was all there, but, you know, what, whatever it was with a capital I, whatever it was that would give me a sense of um, deeper happiness and um, meaning, I didn't know, I didn't know how to find it. And um, so, you know, and I remember that feeling. I, I remember the feeling of 
just sort of, you know, the image I have in my mind is myself as a young woman um, at the time in my life, you know, when it seemed like everything should have been quote unquote perfect. Um, there was just this longing that I had that I didn't know how to fill. And I remember the image I have like standing at the window in my home, like just looking outside with this sense of longing. And um, so, you know, I had a prayer, I think, that arose from my heart at that time, which was, you know, probably along the lines of help me, help me, help me, you know, like how do I find my way? And um, and, and not too long after that, I, I met my teacher, Roy Eugene Davis, who's an American yogi. And uh, he's a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda. So through him, I found out uh, about the path of Kriya Yoga. And uh, the main shift that happened for me was learning how to find, in a sense, what I was looking for, learning how to enter that temple of the soul, the temple of the self, you know, to discover um, my own connection to wisdom, to truth, to happiness. So, um, you know, that was more than 35 years ago. And once I found that path, um, it was so deep and profound that you know, even at this point in my life, I haven't exhausted it. I'm still learning. Um, and I'm still um, finding that that connection, um, which I would say is with our own self, but a capital S, um, is is what we are all yearning for, what we're all looking for. Yeah, thank you for that. The The yearning is you know, such a beautiful word, <laughs> actually, mm-hmm. it's a little different than longing, right? There's yeah. a, there's an active aspect to mm-hmm. yearning where longing seems to have some sort of passive thing going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm, I'm just curious about what <laughs> was it in your heart that allowed you to connect with this particular path? I think what happened was when I, when I heard uh, my teacher expound, you know, on um, really basic Vedic principles, you know, the essence of Vedanta, which is really, you know, thou art that, (laughs) this is the truth of your being. So, um, I had read the teachings, you know, I was at that time, I had, you know, gone to college and uh, explored, you know, various um, pathways. And I had read these teachings. I was a fan of Alan Watts at the time. So I had some, and, you know, he he was drawing a lot from Vedanta. So I had some exposure to it, but meeting someone who's living it, you know, who deeply understands it, knows about it, um, there is a transmission of that that occurs. And so um, for me, it it was that I heard the teachings in a way that mm, there was an opening inside of me to receive them. Um, So I don't know if that answers your question. Well, I think it does because it, it sounds like it was a some sort of resonance that, yes. that you had kind of been dabbling in the mind and intellectual 
like angles at getting to the answer for what was this thing that was missing. Mm-hmm. And then you landed in that, the, this is, I am that. Exactly. And what happened was when I heard him speak, when I heard the teachings, I didn't have an argument. And up until that point, when I had, you know, seen teachers or I'd gone places, um, I I could find something that I connected with, but there was always an argument at some juncture. Um, And so this time... There was no argument. And also there was the experience, you know, we meditated together. And um, and so he, in a sense, showed me that doorway uh, into myself and helped me, you know, to identify, you know, what was beyond mind and, you know, myself as the witness, as the observer. So um, it was, as you say, there was that resonance and also... Um, the experience, you know, which makes all the difference having, having the experience. And, um, and, and I really didn't know what it was at the time and I wasn't looking for a guru. Um, but you know, I, I would say that yearning was evidence that I was looking for that. Right. And having the experience that's, you know, and talking about abundance, I feel like that can be a a major uh, resistance point or uh, reactionary point of people in trying to step into that natural state of abundance and 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 having an idea of what that experience should be like, having an idea yeah. of you know possibly the material manifestation of that or the you know. <laughs> the um the way that they think it should look or even the way that they think it should feel yeah absolutely um you know especially there is a a general idea that prosperity is about material wealth which um it is so much broader and deeper than that and it harkens to our own experience of fullness um and so it's about the experience of your own wholeness so that in order to live a prosperous life, there's a switch from, you know, basically lack to abundance that has to do with the deep experience of the self to where you know that what you are is enough. You know, what you are is whole, is full, is sufficient, um, you know, coming from that experience of thou art that you know you are um supreme consciousness you you are that um essential essence itself and so from that fullness then there's a different way of approaching life there's a different way of of um going out and um engaging in the world versus from a sense of lack you know i need this i want that um that that has us um uh, it, it, it all i can say is it's coming from a, a, 
an ignorant place, you know, to where then we use people and things. We use them, and the earth gets used in that way, you know. It's like not enough. And when you come from that not enough place, you always need more and more. And so, you know, then we see the, the way that people use one another. We see the plundering of the earth coming from that basic um, egoic viewpoint of I need, I want, it's mine. <laughs> Versus, right when you're really you know. just when you're really just taking from yourself, <laughs> once you're in yeah. that mindset, you're just taking from yourself. It reminds me yeah. of a uh, um, uh, Lama Siltram Alioni told me a story and about uh, an indigenous elder in Colorado teaching her to uh, pull a hair from her own head and leave it anytime she pulled anything from the earth. <laughs> so that she would know how the earth felt. So uh, I think that that, um, you know, I guess actually I'll ask you, you know, that is that the the concept then of, from the Vedantic point of view, the concept that's more of an exchange or circular, and you're talking about just coming from wholeness. It, yes, absolutely. There's the recognition that it there's it's all one so there and that's one of the reasons that i wrote the book is that i have this um sort of radical vision that you know it's time for us to heal the split you know between our so-called spiritual life and our material life and so many people that i've worked with over the years you know that that um, split, which has been around for a long time in the global consciousness, um, you know, still affects how we see one another, how we see our work in the world, how we see prosperity, how we see, you know, the global situation. So it's a switch in 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 seeing it all as as sacred, all as one. So it's not, you know, my spiritual life meditating on the cushion and then I go to work and that's, you know, something different. And money is totally something different right no it's it's just an expression of that one reality and you know it's helpful if we learn that so we can approach it to the best of our ability in a in a sacred way right i'd like to hear your thoughts on how we're going to make that switch <laughs> now, I know that you've written a, a really beautiful book that really, I mean, I honestly does a delightful job of bringing really deep spiritual principles into uh, uh, clearly easy, easy to intake language and then melding it with this this whole idea. But so you've already done that work, <laughs> but now I'm just asking you, how do you think we're going to make that switch? Like, what's your vision for, for making that switch? Well, um, luckily, you know, according to the teachings from the Vedas, you know, we're all destined to make that switch. You know, it's just really waking up and, and we, and we do live in a world that's waking up. So part of it is just claiming that, right. And, and, um, deciding to be a part of that and deciding to, 
to see that, um, to come from that place and to see that place. And so, you know, I'm thinking as I say that to you of a prayer that, that Yogananda had, which was about seeing the, the light of divine love awakened and shining in hearts everywhere. So is this like this consciousness of being willing to call that forth and being um dedicated to it and because it's just one reality you know and we're in that we're of that we're participating in it we do have an ability to call forth um higher awareness and you know but of course first we access it in ourselves and then we're sort of committed to seeing that you know wherever we go and um cultivating it so you know there's so many things and of course there are many things i talk about in the book but you know one of them is as simple as relating to one another you know soul to soul or or that to that you know however you want to say it um to get out of the mindset of you know when we're in the ego-based mind you know we're looking with critical mind we're comparing um we're competing and um you know we're never going to get rid of that ego mind we we need that but it can be transformed um it can be clarified so that um we're aware of it and then we're aware of how we approach others, how we approach life. Yeah, I really love that reflection of uh, committing to that. So once you have that awakened in yourself, then I'm committed to seeing that in the rest of the of the world. Yeah, yeah, and life, um, you know, life becomes so tender and so in a sense painfully beautiful you know when the heart opens um you know we have the ability then to feel and to see um this tender vulnerability you know of all creatures of human beings and also to you know feel the deep suffering you know that goes on in our world and and the the cruelty and you know all of that is all there um and so it's it's also an exercise of learning how to keep our heart open um in the midst of you know the just the profound beauty of life and the profound uh, suffering. Right. Keeping that open, right? It's a commitment not only to seeing the, the beauty, but to seeing the whole, right? Uh-huh. Right. And it's and it's all it's all there. Um and then the you know, the commitment that we have, of course, the best of our ability is to not contribute to suffering, um, and to do our best, you know, to um you know, the first law of of dharma, the first law in, in the, on the yoga path is ahimsa, you know, um, nonviolence. Um, and its fulfillment, really, um, the fulfillment of that law is compassion or love. And to be in the world with that commitment um, is really a key um, to prosperous living. Those are those are connected, <laughs> right? To be in the world with that commitment to love, to seeing one another as souls. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you it's it's something great. Yes, <laughs> I'm all for that. So, 
You say here in the Jewel of Abundance, true wealth is access to resources on all levels, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. It is the expression of a harmonious relationship with spirit, nature, and all of life. Those who know how to work with the spiritual laws of prosperity discover that lasting, sustainable wealth is not only possible, it is the natural, easeful expression of an awakened life. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of summary of what we've just been talking about. Yeah. But there's also in that, at least for me, a bit of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if I'm not, if I'm, if my bank account doesn't look this way, if I'm not attracting the resources that I need, does that mean that? my relationship with spirit is a mess and what am I going to do? And I thought I had a good relationship Mm. with God. And (laughs) how do you, how do you, um, how do you hold that? Well, you know, the big, the big turn really is getting out of identifying, um, material resources as our prosperity. So, you know, the, and a lot of the book is, is about that, you know, learning how to claim and identify uh, what we would call spiritual resources, which is our relationship with the infinite. So um, it, 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 it may be a little um, mystifying at first, but it is possible um, not to have money in the bank and still experience yourself as prosperous. Um, one of the teachings that I quote is a, uh, is a favorite verse from the Bhagavad Gita, which is in the second chapter, the 40th verse, which is, you know, uh, on this path, um, no obstacle can long prevail and there is no failure. Even a little bit of this practice removes great fear. And so we have to think about, okay, well, you know, what is this path um, where the obstacles don't prevail and there is no failure? So, you know, if if your prosperity path is about, you know, amassing money and then you don't, you know, reach that goal, then, you know, you're attached to a particular outcome and then there's failure. But if your goal is about, um, expanding your consciousness, growing as a human being, um, becoming more serviceful in the world. Everything that we do in that regard is, um, you know, as, as Ramdas would say, grist for the mill, right? So there is no failure in that. We're, we're continually growing, we're continually learning. And, um, so, um, yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. And that removing great fear is about, <clears throat> of course, the ultimate fear is the fear of death. And it's um, removing that identification um, with the mind and the body. Um, you know, instead of thinking, you know, I'm a soul, you know, I am a, I, I am a body and a mind. I have a soul, right? It's no, you, you don't have a soul. That's the ego's perspective, but you, you are the soul. You are that operating through mind and body. So, um, it, I, I do want to say, I do want to address though that, um, 
of course, it's really important that we learn how to meet our basic needs and, you know, to have some money in the bank. And really, the book is also about that. Like, what kind of skills can we draw from our spiritual life to be able to attract the resources we need, which include money, um, to do the work that we're inspired to do in the world. So, you know, one of the things is, of course, getting over the split that there's our spiritual life and then there's money. So we, we learn how to work with it as a continuum of energy. We also learn about the principles of integrity on in life that are there on the path of yoga that help us have a right relationship with money, and then principles of mind and consciousness that can help us attract what we need. Right. Great. Thank you for that clarification. And, and I, and I guess I, when I, I, I could see how if you set yourself up for some particular outcome, that then your outcome, <laughs> you're, you're already in the split. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, most of us can, you know, we do have the, the school of hindsight, you know, that most of us have been to, right, where we really, really wanted something and, you know, it didn't come to be. Um, but then, you know, very often we've had the experience, at least I have, you know, that, oh, I'm, I'm pretty glad that didn't happen because, you know, then there was this, right? And so I've learned um that it is important. It's important to have goals. It's important to have aims, but um, you you have to hold them according to the teachings of yoga. And what I found most effective is to um, be completely um, dedicated to them, and also hold them loosely. So um, you know, I gave a talk last week that was called "Taking Charge and Letting Go." So it's that sort of paradoxical way of being fully committed to uh, what we believe is the right thing to do and is in the greater good, but then um, being open to how things will move and change as we, as we move towards that goal. Yeah, it seems to me that once, in my experience, I've commit to something and then what I've also committed to is the overcoming of whatever mm -hmm. <laughs> obstacles are in the path of that. So to know what it takes to arrive at the actual destination, you know, yeah, you have to be uh, both driver and passenger. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And and I've also um I've also identified in in the book that actually the commitment that we need um most of all is the commitment to our own joy. Um that you know there's no sense in um following our dreams, following our goals in life and being miserable along the way. Right. You know, that's why one of the four goals of life besides, you know, Dharma and Arta, which is wealth, is Kama, which is pleasure. And then, of course, uh, Moksha, which is liberation. So, 
the commitment that we have that helps us follow the path in a graceful way is a commitment to our own aliveness. It's a commitment, as you know, Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss. Um, so it's a commitment to staying in touch with um, our own sense of, um, the, uh, of Ananda, the soul's bliss or joy. Absolutely. And in uh, chapter 10 of the book, uh, meditate and experience wholeness very clearly <laughs> titled <laughs> the idea of being fulfilled just as we are is compelling a sigh of relief comes when we recognize that we are already complete yet the idea of fullness alone will not actually free us beyond grasping the concept it is necessary to experience our wholeness it's like the difference between reading the menu and eating the meal. Only eating the meal does that. So how did you come to taking your spiritual focus uh, and applying it to the path of prosperity? Well, I talked uh, in the beginning in our in our conversation about the yearning that I had, you know, to to for something that I had to get clear about what it was, um, as the, you know, the truth of my own being. But there is also the yearning within us all, which you know I have named the prosperity imperative, which is the inclination of life with a capital L to express its fullness, you know, through each of us. So in my tradition, you know, um, my, my teacher is a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda. So those teachings came to me uh, through him. And when you study Yogananda's life, and Yogananda was a you know, great sage, a great soul, um, he was also really engaged in doing his work in the world. And he wasn't afraid to have goals and he wasn't afraid to, you know, bring forth the, the resources that, that were needed. And we see that with, you know, many of the great spiritual teachers all over the world and those who came to the West in particular. So um, it's, you, you, if you, to me, it is, I, and I have said it this way, we're called to be the growing edge of love in the world. And so it's a way in which we get beyond the constricted, constrained, egoic self when we open up to our fuller potential, which is to contribute um, our, our gifts, our talents, you know, for the well-being of all. Great. So again, not separate, whole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And, and through the leadership of the lineage that you found this truth in, it seems to be uh, expressed in, in the world, expressed in the world, not just yeah. in the inner world. Yeah, but somehow, you know, we, we maintain that illusion. I think, you know, I hear it all the time, you know, that 
um, that spirituality is something you you go do uh, separate and apart, you know, from your life. And of course, it doesn't take much spiritual practice before, you know, we we figure out that we need to learn to live it in the world. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? Um, so and, and you know, on the path of yoga, there's you know, great teachings um, in the Bhagavad Gita, in the Yoga Sutra, in the Vedas, you know, for living in the world as uh, spiritual beings. So it's all there. Of course, right, of course. And and uh, and Krishna in the chariot with Arjuna is, <laughs> you know, clarifying this is your dharma. Exactly. So, you know, so you do speak, you know, a bit about dharma, finding and... I, I mean, I guess I'd love to get your thoughts. I, I feel like as my spiritual life has unfolded um, and deepened and continued, I have, um, my dharma has shifted. My relationship to it has, has shifted. There's some things, like you said, being of service in the world that have become imperative. And then there's um, like, you know, a whole other aspect of this incarnation that that needs expression so i'm just curious about that like what you think about um that evolution over the course of one's life and how directing that energy can work i think that um as we engage in uh, our spiritual practice, our sadhana. Um, and for me, you know, meditation is principal tool for that because it is about, you know, clarifying the mental field and then having the direct experience of the self. So, you know, as we do that, our, I think our discernment becomes clarified, our intuition is awakened, and we do begin to see more clearly and we begin to feel more deeply what is ours to do. And interestingly enough, you know, I have found in my own life and in, and in the lives of m many students that I work with that um, it has a way of circling back. And by, what, what I mean by that is that you know, going back to those yearnings, the yearning to express ourselves in our fullness, what I've called the prosperity imperative, you know, so it's a call of the soul. It really was there um, for me in my life, you know, in my youth, and um, in, but not in its fullness, you know, just in seed form, little yearnings that I had and, um, and talents that I had, interests that I had. So, you know, I find, you know, people are, you know, when they hear about Dharma, you know, they're mostly looking outside of themselves, outside of their own lives. You know, what am I supposed to do, right? You know, I, there's this big word called Dharma now and I'm supposed to do it. But in my sense is that Dharma is really about our own becoming. It's about, you know, becoming what we have always been in our potential, but in our fullness. Exactly. Yeah, it's really, it's a, you know, in the, in, in meditation in the, in the last six months, I kept having this thing about acting. And I was like, what in the world is this about? And I was like, you know, if it be your will, we'll, well, 
lo and behold, like a month and a half later, I was offered a part in a, in a series. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. And then showed up for that. And now that you're saying that I totally had forgotten how much it, it was grade school when uh-huh. I was, exactly. when I was in theater, uh-huh. I wasn't, I hadn't done it since. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's really cool. And, and it was from that being in that surrendered place that I was available to that possibility. Yeah. Which seemed and completely it... out of left field and totally, <laughs> you know, not a, a um, sane or sober path to <laughs> trying to create abundance at this point in my life. Uh-huh, but, um, uh-huh. yeah. But, but was there some joy in oh, it? Oh, I loved it. It was fantastic. And it was, and it became a spiritual practice. You know, it was very, Uh it was very uh, spiritual for me to Uh be, to be in it. I was uh, in communication with my uh, guru in within through the whole process. And it was quite beautiful. Totally. I can totally relate. (laughs) And, you know, and, and the other thing is that, you know, when people look at Dharma as a job, you know, which it is not, you know, Dharma is our path of being, our path of becoming, um, there are going to be many ways in which those talents and abilities are expressed. And uh, again, you know, the, the key is um, that inner joy that sort of start begins to open up. Even if it's hard, the joy is there. Exactly. Even if it's difficult, even if it's challenging, there's joy there. And and remembering what that is, you know, uh-huh. and allowing that to be alighted. So, okay, great, Ellen. So one more thing, and then we'll get, get to the end. But um, generosity, mm. it's the last chapter. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, the, the last chapter is, is really, it's the spoiler, you know, that um, it, it's about becoming wealth, you know. So, you know, to write a book about prosperity is a little dangerous, you know, in terms of the misconceptions that are out there and what people might think of me writing a book about prosperity. But it, it is really um, a book about uh our own becoming and the ultimate wealth is becoming wealth itself, um, becoming a generative presence in the world so that we're in, in a sense living from overflow. So we, we know how to access our own fullness and we know how to bring it into whatever room we walk into and, you know, it becomes a healing presence. And um, so instead of, you know, looking to get, um, we become a, a giving presence. And we're not looking to give either. So it, it's not that, not that. It's simply um, being what we are and um, allowing, you know, um, the beautiful nature of life um, to reveal itself. Fabulous. <laughs> so I ask each of my guests to uh, give a specific piece of advice to women and girls on the spiritual path. 
So I'll offer that to you as we close. One of the great things, uh, great ideas, great knowings that we can have um, for, for girls and as women is to be aware of our own natural abundance. It's very, very clear in women. And so to claim it and to know it, I mean, it, it's true for everyone. But um, for women, I think we can um, more consciously claim our very nature as abundant, as generous, as giving, as prosperous, um, and um, free ourselves from thinking that we need anyone or anything else to fill us up. You know, that's a primary mistake that many women make, and I myself made it as a young woman, you know, thinking that I needed um, somebody else, you know, to give me permission, um, to give me security, to bring me happiness. And so I would say, absolutely not. You know, you are full. You are full. There's a beautiful um, verse in, in the uh, Upanishads, you know, all this is full. All that is full. You know, take fullness from fullness. Only fullness remains. And so um, that is my sharing. We can and absolutely. I think we must come from our own fullness. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ellen. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. And I just want to encourage everybody to go to the Shakti Hour page at BeHereNowNetwork.com and you'll find a link to get a hold of her latest book, The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. And how else can people find you, Ellen? We'll have we'll have uh, links to all of that on the Shakti Hour page, but you can tell us now too. Thank you so much. Um, you can go to my author website, which is Ellen Grace O'Brien, and it's O'Brien with an A, O-B-R-I-A-N uh, dot com. And there is a link on my site um, for events. And so in the coming year, I will be traveling across the U S and offering many retreats that are intensives on, um, how to find the jewel of abundance in your own life. So I'll be, um, in California at 1440 in the spring. I'll be, uh, I'll be in, uh, Omega in New York, also a little later in the spring, and Kirpalu uh, on the East Coast, and, and so forth. So many places like that. So take a look at my events page, and it would be great to see you at a retreat. Oh, I would love to. Uh, I would love to. Uh, when are you at 1440? Um, in April, April 19th through 21st. Oh, fantastic. It's so beautiful there. It is. Yeah, <laughs> I have done. I have done retreats there before, and... Uh, isn't it the perfect setting for getting in touch with the jewel of abundance? Oh, yeah, honestly, it seems yeah. like it's just arising from that place. Totally. You can just sit in the infinity pool and contemplate uh, overflow. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Ellen. I really appreciate your time and I love your book and uh, it was a pleasure to meet you. I hope to meet you in person. 
Thank you so much. I'll look forward to that too. And thank you for the beautiful uh, work that you're doing uh, in the world and especially uh, this work with Shakti. Um, may Shakti continue to rise and rise. Ooh.